Great, it's so good to see all of you here, new people and so on. I'll stand up here, I normally stand down there, but I can't even see the back of the the church here anymore. And um, just pray for our new building, it's coming up next door. Uh, It's going to be four times the size of this, and it's going to be finished by next May. So just pray for that, Uh, it's going to give us an opportunity to um, expand even more. There's this little book I've asked to, to be handed out at the door, it's called Welcome to Oceanside. And what it is, and this is for uh, new people and people who have been in the church, it's a little bit of our story, and uh, it's got our statement of faith, what we believe, our vision and values, and, and, and so on. And uh, I'd love you to read through this, and one of the main th- reasons, I believe that if you're looking for a church or you're part of a church, it's important to know what they believe, uh, number one. And number two... Uh, if you have any questions, we have an amazing eldership team, uh, pastoral team, uh, that, and we would love to sit down with you. No question's a bad question, uh, uh, and we, we would love to talk to you about it. So please pick up one of those if you're looking, if this is somewhere that you're looking to, to, to uh, come alongside. And um, yeah, so... It's amazing, amazing to see what God's doing. Uh, Also, if you could just start praying for us next week. Uh, If you come here for a while, you'll notice that I'm not always here, and it's not because I have a condo in Mexico. I wish I did have one. (laughs) But it's because I'm part of a team that equips and trains churches around the world. It's amazing what um, influence this church has. And um, so I'm going to be in Australia actually for six weeks, uh, you'll see how well this church works. You'll be surprised. It normally does better when I'm not here. Uh, and, you know, one of my greatest things is sometimes I come back and I meet somebody uh, and they ask me if I'm new to the church. <laughs> means we're doing a good job. And uh, so we're going to be there uh, in uh, Melbourne, Adelaide, and Sydney. Uh, we'll be doing about 26, 27 meetings in six weeks. Uh, training and equipping, and so on. So I ask you to, to pray for that, if you don't mind, and pray for the church while we're, we're away. And um, so I'm just going to pick up a little bit on last week. Uh, a lot of what has been shared on community is what I've been uh, speaking about. And uh, so I want to continue on that, and just a little bit of a recap. We spoke on the importance of God-centered community. There's two relationships we have, and you'll see that. We have a horizontal relationship that's with us and God, but He also intended us to have a vertical relationship with each other. He never intended us to, to do life alone. And um, an, it's important, and we spoke about horizontal relationships last week, and it's important that we work on these relationships And one of the biggest mistakes that we make as individuals is by replacing community with a tiny little unit called self, or a little family, or a husband and wife, and we isolate ourselves thinking that a truly fulfilled life can be found alone, and that we don't actually need each other, except in times of crisis. That's so true. And... um, that wasn't what God intended. You see, the whole point of, being, uh, point of being part of God's family is knowing that you don't have to do life alone. Psalm 68.6 tells us this, that God sets 
the lonely in family. What an amazing um, picture that is. And it's not just any family, it's the family of God, His family. He chooses us and He sets us in family, but it's up to us to respond to that. You see, we have God the Father, because God is a, a family man, He's a father. The first father who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. John 3.16, most people, even in and out the church, will know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But we also have God the Son. And God the Son paid the price for our sin. In the fall, in the beginning, in Genesis, we see that um, God created Adam, then he created Eve as a suitable help, help and a partner, and he gave them one command not to do, and they broke it. And because of that, sin entered the world, and because of that, our, that perfect relationship with God was broken by that sin. So God sent His Son to, to, for, uh, to pay the price for our sin, but not so that we could live in isolation then and one day go to heaven, but He, he paid the price of, for our sin for one simple reason, so that relationship destroyed by sin could be restored with our Father. That's why Jesus came. And not only that, we have God the Holy Spirit, who the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John is our comforter, our guide. And He lives within every spiritual, born-again believer. And then we have each other. Turn to the person next to you and say, I have you and you have me. Isn't that true? They say you can choose your friends, but not your family. You see, the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, the majority of the body of Christ will celebrate with you, will hold you up and be with you in the good and the bad times. The majority. There may be some that won't. But it's interesting how the enemy tricks us. For example, even if there's an issue in the church or something comes up and um, as a pastor it comes to me, it can confuse, go, uh, it can con, not confuse me, overwhelm me. This is going on and that's going on. And I think, wow, the whole thing is falling apart. But when I bring it down, and you get down to where the issue is. There's maybe two or three people involved in that. And the rest of us are obliviously happy. And you need to know that. The majority of the people in this church are good, happy people. I would like to say the ones that aren't are in the process of getting there. So help them <laughs> along the way. You see, we need to be encouraged. We read this in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. And this is an amazing passage of Scripture because I think it is very relevant, as all Scripture is, for us today. 
And the, uh, the writer writes this under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, and this is the, the part here that I want us to catch as community, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then it goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together. Why? Because if we don't meet together, how do we encourage one another? And if we don't meet together, how do we get encouraged ourselves? And it says, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another so we to spur each other on and we to encourage one another all the more as you see the day appearing. Now, whether we're in the last days or not, the Word of God actually says this, that no one knows the time of the day. Matthew 24, you go and read it yourself, or 25, only the Father in heaven. In Acts 1.8, I know we've got to discern the times, but he says the, the, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are having this last conversation and meal with Jesus. He's just about to be ascended to heaven. And he says, Lord, when you, when you go, are you going to, when you come back, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They were still thinking that they were the chosen frozen. And Jesus changes the subject from that to says, And he says, it is not for you to know the time or the date. How many of you were worried about yesterday? Weren't we supposed to end yesterday? It's not for us. Jesus' word, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you for one reason and one reason alone, to be my witness. Yes, we discern the times and the, the apostles thought Jesus was coming back soon and I think we need to live with that urgency because these are urgent times. And as the day comes and as things get worse, we need to get tighter together, spur one another on and encourage us, each other. Amen. You see, church, we don't just stumble into community. It doesn't just happen. We need to take responsibility and be intentional about it. If I'm lonely, it's because I've made a choice to be lonely. Nobody made me isolate myself. Nobody made me uh, just Jesus and me and watch the TV on a Sunday. I have a, 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 a person in my neighborhood, and uh, he's a nice man, elderly in his 80s, and wherever I'm going to the post box or something, he'll pop out and say Hi. And a lot of his conversation is about how he doesn't like the church. And I'm a pastor and he knows that, so he tells me all this, this stuff. And he says, I, watch, I serve God and I watch God and I watch him on TV. Every Sunday I watch Joel Olstein. Now I've got nothing against watching Joel Olstein. But he has replaced and shrunk his little life to the fact that he looks out the window for people to walk past and then go and say hi to them, but he will not come to church because the church let him down. That's a choice that he made. And you know, the choices we make are self-fulfilling. 
We get what we believe, and we, we get what we speak. Amen? It's not that people won't hurt us, but we can choose to live in forgiveness, in community, or we can choose to live alone. In Acts 2, we see that the early church, and this is just a praise from last week, so I'll get to my sermon in about an hour. <laughs> it says this, they devoted themselves to these things. The church was devoted. The church was birthed in Acts 2, and this is the first thing they did from day one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to be equipped for works of service. Ephesians 4.11 He gave apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists not just to feed the sheep, but to equip the sheep for works of service. To fellowship, an amazing word, kanonia, and you can, kanonia, the Greek word, go, it's a rich, deep, intimate relationship. To the breaking of bread, and they met publicly as we are now, and house to house as we do in connect groups. You see, we need to be intentional. We need to desire it, to value it, and work on it. And we will never become more like Jesus on our own because we need others to help us on our journey. We will never become more like Him. It's out of relationship as we learn to forgive and be forgiven, as we learn to love and be loved as we learn to deal with rejection and come in the opposite spirit and say, I'm not going to reject you even though you reject me because we reap what we sow. We grow when we're together and it is messy. You know, when you lead a church, there's many people with many very good opinions on how the church should be led. And I thank them for all 5,000 of them. I really appreciate it. Uh, (laughs) But... To get a church to work in unity, think about it. If you have a family with only two kids, four of you or five of you, how hard is it to bring unity in that? So in the church, it can be harder. But Paul says this in Ephesians 4, let us therefore make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because unity takes effort. It means I can't have it all my own way, and neither can you. But together we come together, and we lay aside the trappings, the only thing that we will, should stand on and never ever deviate from is the Holy Spirit inspired Word of God. This is not a culturally relevant book. It's a timeless book for every culture. And when we place culture over the Word of God and we change the Word of God to culture, we make culture superior to the Word of God. We can't have it both ways. Either this is superior to, to culture or culture is. The problem with culture is it changes every week. So this is what we stand on. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All else is sinking sand. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
John 1, 8. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is the living word, the sharper than any two-edged sword word that we stand on, and this is what we will give an account for. But whether we like the music louder or softer, yes, we can change a bit. Whether we like smaller or bigger churches, well, we can't help that. And those are the things that take effort. And those are the things that distract us from being this God-centered community that He dreamed for us. And there's a risk being in community. Let's not pretend there's not. People will let you down just as you have let them down. We'll forget about that part. You see, we have this crazy thing is that we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge others by what they do. What does that mean? I intended to be a good person. So I feel good about it just because I thought about it. I thought I was going to do a good deed or go and help somebody. And just because I thought about it, I feel good. You know those happy thoughts? Well, yeah, I really want to do something significant as I scroll through the TV for the next week. This feels good. I intended to do that. And, but, heaven help if somebody else, and I don't do it, says they'll do something and doesn't do it. Because we judge them by what they do, and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Crazy, eh? We are weird. (laughs) But maybe it's just me. You see, we will let each other down. But when you think about it, in the community, of a couple hundred, and there might be one or two people that will let you down in this whole community. And the whole community is then made irrelevant if you don't handle it well. You see, the question is not will we be let down. The question is, do we want to live a lonely, isolated life, struggling on our own? Or do we want to risk and let others in to pray with us, to stand with us, celebrate with us, and to do life with us. Knowing something that sometimes may not turn out as we expected. But we need to keep this in focus, that man will sometimes let you down, let you down. And sometimes the hardest letdowns are the ones from the people you love the most because you're emotionally involved in that situation. If somebody you don't know says something about you or emails you something about you and you don't even know them, which happens to pastors, you just push delete. It's easy. But somebody you love hurts you. And that does happen. But there's one who sticks closer than a brother that never ever hurts you, never leaves you or forsakes you, is always there for you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is the head of the church, and we are his body. He never ever does that. My sin, as much as the Pharisee's sin, put Jesus on the cross. 
He died for the sin of the world. And he never lets us down. You see, that's all about this horizontal relationship. But if we don't have a strong vertical relationship, it doesn't work. We cannot have this relationship without that, and we cannot have that relationship without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ daily. Daily communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And without that, there will always be horizontal issues because they're the issues of the heart. You see, every day, and this is the amazing thing about the grace of God, God offers us an opportunity of a new beginning. We can live in the past, but God forgives us of our sin, past, present, and future. We can choose to look, have a rear view mirror bigger than our future windshield. We can do that. But God offers us a new beginning. And Paul says this in Philippians 3, this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I press on to take hold of what Christ has taken hold of me for. Christ has taken hold of you and I for something, to be a witness in McDonald's where we work or in the government or in the bank or in, in, the, as a, in the hospital. God has put you and taken hold of you to be salt and light and to be a witness. And it's often all the stuff that's behind us. I got hurt, I'll never trust again. I, I, I trusted and it was broken. I can't trust people and I can't trust God. Paul says this, this one thing I do. Remember, Paul murdered Christians for a living. He had a lot to forget. He understood the grace of God. And then he says in that, all of us who are mature should take such a view. So living in the past is a sign of spiritual immaturity. And we need to grow up and we need to allow God to heal us. And we'll talk about that. You see, we have a Savior who's able to free us from our past daily and to provide a new way forward no matter what the price. That is if we make space for Him. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen because we hang with Christians or come to church. It happens because we intentionally engage God. We intentionally can make time to come in His presence. I challenge you to switch your iPhone off or whatever phone you got for an hour and see how that freaks you out, most people. <laughs> and give that to God once a day. You can have 23 hours. I'll give you permission to do you know the funniest thing when I'm overseas I get some texts from people in the congregation saying what amazing service it is and I look at the time zone and I know they're sitting in the congregation I just smile you got to check the time zones 
You see, we can be present, but not present. Because we are body, because we, it doesn't mean we're present. God wants a personal relationship. I tell you, he will do you good. All the stuff on the internet is going to, most of it will take you down. An hour, half an hour, try 15, 20 minutes where you just focus on God. Put up some worship. Say, God, I need you to touch me. God, I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm hurt. I feel unfair. Be honest with him. He knows anyway. Be honest. That pastor, God, please, can I go to another church? (laughs) Be honest. (laughs) But not with the pastor, please. You see, Revelations 3.20, the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, the church that was not hot or cold, the church that Jesus said that he will vomit out of his mouth because it's neither here nor there. He says, I would you would be hot or cold. Go and read it. Not my words, please. It's pretty hectic. But at the end of this, he gives an opportunity to that church. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What happens when somebody knocks at the door? We have a choice. Switch the lights off and pretend no one's there or invite the person in. Jesus only works by invitation. He will never push that door down but he will stand there constantly wooing you, drawing you because he loves you. To the day you die, no matter what you've done, he's there for you. The father's there looking for the prodigals to come home. The father, and we think prodigals are just um, people that are in the world. We can be prodigals ourselves because we check out. We check out. And he knocks at the door of our heart. He's knocking every day. Can I have a little bit of your time? I want to do you good. I want to love you. And he says, if anyone, nobody, he's just said anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door to their hearts, I will come in and eat with him and him with me. I will have fellowship. I will hang with you. But you hold the key to that door every day, not him, because he's given us free will. You see, the Savior knows us intimately and wants to meet us in our time of need. And we read this in Lamentations 3, 22 to 25. It's a, you know, if you ever want to be depressed, do a study on Lamentations. But it's in a sense, it's an amazing book because it's a warning. It's a warning to a people that were given opportunity, time and time to repent. He sent prophets. He sent words from God. He, he wooed them for years and years. He says, listen, calamity is coming if you do not change your ways. Spoke through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, and, and so on, Ezekiel was, um, I think, just after that in, in the time of exile and, and so on. And, and he's speaking, calling his people home. And he says, if you don't come home, bad stuff's going to happen to you. 
And we know that one day the children of Israel were overwhelmed by the enemy and taken into exile. And they're living in exile in Babylon. And this book is written, it's a, it's a lament. It's a lament of where they find themselves. It's a lament of looking back and saying, if only, if only, if only. And in the midst of this, we see this incredible passage of the grace, mercy, and love of God. And it says this, because of God's great love for us, Lamentations 3, 22 to 25, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Every morning, he wipes the slate clean. There's consequences we may walk through, but he wipes the slate clean. Great is your faithfulness, O God. I will say the Lord is my portion, and I will wait for him. I will open the door when he comes. For the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, and to the ones who seek him. You see, we have a Savior who made a way to enter into the very throne room of God. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And then we'll close soon. says this, therefore, to talk about entering into the rest. Remember Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said, come all who are weary and heavy burden, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. So it says here, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high high priest, now listen to this, who is unable to sympathize or empathize with our weakness. He knows them. He understands them. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Jesus set aside his deity, God incarnate, born of a virgin, and clothed himself in humanity. He set it aside, he was still fully God, but he chose to lay it down. Go and read Philippians chapter 2. He laid it down and he took on humanity. He walked like you and I. And every temptation you've had, every, you think of the worst temptations, the mind will boggle. He was tempted in that. Yet he did not succumb to it. So temptation is not sin. Temptation is when we succumb to it. 
But when we are feeling tempted, we have this great shepherd who empathises with us, who knows our weakness. He said, come to me, come to me, come to me. Come to me. And when we do that, he gives us the strength. And the amazing thing is even when we fall, he still forgives us. What an amazing friend. And so we can approach God's throne and it's the throne of grace. And grace is simply this, God's riches. In other words, salvation and everything we get from God was at Christ's expense. It cost Christ. So we can walk into the throne room of grace. Grace is not cheap. And grace is not how far can I get to the edge before I fall off. Grace is to lead us how close can I get to God without being killed. Because of Jesus. And we come in a new and a living way and we come into the very holy of holies by grace. And what happens when we do that and we do that daily, we don't get what we, don't, uh, what we deserve. Man, Mike, yesterday you really blew it. I'm had it with you. No, we receive mercy. Mercy simply means we get what we don't deserve. We get what we don't deserve. We are forgiven. We're set free. And when we, when we come out the other side of being with God, we come by grace through Jesus Christ. We come to him and say, Father, I've sinned. I'm sorry. I'm really struggling. Please help me on my way. He says, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And then we walk out the other side into our day and it says, and we find grace daily to help us in our times of need. Christianity was never meant to be a secondhand relationship or a secondhand revelation. I'm a Christian because I go to church. No, you're a Christian because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we go to church because we're Christians. We have Christ in us. Amen. He's a Savior who knows us intimately and our strengths and weakness. Let me just go down here. A savior who came to restore identity. There's a huge identity crisis in the body of Christ. We're trying to earn our Father's approval because that's how it was at home. We're trying to. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. His, God, his love is constant and it never changes. And our identity is not in what we do or don't do. Our identity is in who we are. Children of God, bought by the price of Jesus. Our identity is in Him. Whether I'm a preacher or whether I stand at the door and we have this weird kind of hierarchy kind of thing that is unbiblical because I'm called to lead, some are called to serve, some are called to preach, some and all of us are equal in standing. We're all heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. There's no higher standing for you in universe. Your identity is in your Father and He loves you and He's bestowed that onto you. 
Before you do anything good or bad, He loves you. Your identity is in Him. Because when we have an identity crisis, we try either please man or please ourselves or we feel good or bad all day, every day. Instead of Father, just remind me because there's no higher standing in the universe. The angels even marvel at salvation. Go and read Hebrews. They don't even understand God's grace. Why would God do that to us when we treat Him like we do? I think that's one of the questions they ask Him. But He pours out grace and He pours out grace and He pours out grace and He gives us this identity of who we are in Christ, not in ourselves. And when we are secure in our identity, it doesn't matter whether we wash the toilets or preach to 100,000 people, God loves us no more or no less. He loves us all. Amen? You see, we try and earn God's approval without understanding that we are already approved. When we accepted God's free gift of salvation through Christ, we became heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are in an equal standing to Christ in the family. Now you think of that, because you're either an heir or you're not an heir. And I have children and they're my heirs. They all have the same standing, different function. And yet, that was Jesus in his humanity. But in his deity, he is God. But he walked the earth as a human. And it's out of this place of calling and authority that we are called to do good works. We don't do good works to get his authority, uh, his, uh, his approval. We do them because we love him and we are already approved. Can you hear that? We're not doing it to earn brownie points in heaven. We do it out of a relationship with God. I want to serve you, God. I want others to know what you've done for me. Galatians 8, 2, 8 to 10. Two, Galatians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. You cannot save yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no man should boast. And I get quoted that often as a pastor, and people stop right there. Oh, don't you know this? It's not by works. I'm not saved by works. Exactly you're not. But because you have done works, the Bible says, because it's not by works, God, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. So we're not saved by works, but we're created to do them. So how does this all wind up? I'm just, I tell you one of my biggest issues, and I thought I'd cut this down. (laughs) I get up three, four on a Sunday, and it's not because um, I'm spiritual, it's because I'm worried I've got too much in my notes. And I put it on the editing floor. But I think you get it. 
So the question is what? How do we do this? We do it by yielding to God. We do it by stop trying in our own strength. We do it by allowing Him to work in and through us. As soon as we try in our own strength, we lose it. You see, and we do it by coming into His presence. And it's only in His presence that supernatural transformation can take place. We cannot transform ourselves into the likeness of God. We cannot transform ourselves into the likeness of God. Only God can do that for us. So when we're trying to be a a good Christian, when we're trying to sow or tithe or whatever it is, when we're trying and, and we're trying and we're trying and we look and we look at ourselves, we look at God and we feel hopeless. The point is we cannot transform ourselves. Only God can and it happens by His Spirit where we are transformed. It's as we allow ourselves that God to transform us daily. Our perspective on life changes. Our perspective on people. The things we used to do, we don't really want to do no more. We don't even know. It wasn't like I put a list on that. I just don't want to do that. It doesn't fulfill me. We cut those out. And more than that, we begin to have compassion. We begin to be compassionate people because we understand the compassion of God towards us. And that comes in, that revelation, and it begins to wash us from the inside out. Religion wants to change us from the outside in, and relationship changes us from the inside out. And we begin to see, like Jesus does, in Matthew 9, 35, 37. You see, we will tell you, you need to go to home group. Well, hopefully you understand why now, connect group. You need to witness. But God, I don't feel that. I don't feel that. I don't feel compassion. You know, TV has absolutely destroyed any sense of feeling. Because what horrified us five years ago is now the norm. Things that would freak us out now or whatever. uh, And we can say, God, I want this compassion. I want this compassion, please. And we beat ourselves up. I'm not compassionate. Oh, man, you know, somebody's getting beheaded and I switch the channel and watch football. You know, ah, that's, thank God that's in the Middle East. And we try ourselves and we dig a big hole. But when we come to the throne of grace, when we come into the very throne room of God, He begins to transform us from the inside out and He begins to give us His heart. 
His heart of compassion, of mercy and grace, it just starts to happen. It's not something we made a list about. You see, when Jesus saw the multitudes, when Jesus saw the crowds, this was his response. And it's not always my response. See, I respond differently with compassion when it affects me. But Jesus responded by just seeing the crowds. And that compassion that he has, he wants to give us. He wants to soften our hearts. Because he says he went through the towns, Matthew 9, 35 to 37. Through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, the multitudes, the addicts downtown, the people in broken relationships, abusive relationships, the people that are struggling, struggling, he had compassion. Only God can give us compassion like that. He had compassion. It challenged me when I was studying for this because they were harassed and helpless. Nothing's changed. Like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why, I was asking God, with all the billions of Christians, are the workers few? Why am I not walking in this compassion, uh, compassion, I ask God? Because I haven't received that compassion from Him. I'm trying to work it up. And I get anesthetized to violence or whatever because it's just, oh, shame. We cannot carry the burdens of the world. That's God does that. Jesus does. But we can ask him in his presence, Lord, break my heart for my neighbors. We heard that, Joanne. Break my heart for the lost. Break my heart for this community. Where people In this community, there are people that need love and compassion. They're sitting right next to you. I'm telling you. And if you're one of those, the way you receive it is to sow love and compassion yourself. Don't just wait to say, God, fill me with that. You see, the solution is not trying in our own strength. That's the field of the enemy, the flesh. It's through repentance. And what is repentance? The hyper-grace people made it a dirty word, I promise you. We cannot live without repentance. Because repentance is simply this. It's a word, metanoia. It's simply this. I'm going in the wrong direction. I'm drifting away. I no longer have love for God or for people. I'm drifting away. I'm drifting and drifting. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit grabs my heart. And I... Repentance is simply the word turn around. 
And I turn around from that and I walk back to my father. I come back to the throne of grace. And he doesn't treat me as I, he says, mercy, 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 my son. I love you, I love you. Let me fill you with my compassion. Let me, my rain come upon you. And Felicity Pooley last week shared this, and I want to share this over you. This, Ezekiel 36, this was a very dark time in the nation of Israel. A very dark time. They had lost their way. And God is calling them back. But it's a free will call. He never forces us. And Ezekiel writes this from 24 to 28. I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. There's a physical, obviously for Israel, but there's a spiritual for us, the body of Christ. And I will sprinkle clean water on you God, I'm tired today. I have no compassion. I'm desperate. God, won't you sprinkle water on me? Clean me again. And the rain of the Holy Spirit begins to come. And it washes away, begins to wash away the dust and the grime of the day before. Never mind the year before. And he says then, I want you to note the one word I will, will, because there's nothing we do except come into his presence. Everything else is I will. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities, all your sin. I will begin to wash it out of you and your idols. Anything that takes the place of God actually is an idol. God, I can't deal with this. I have this idol. I can't deal with it. God begins to deal with it in us and cleanse us from these things. Cleanse us. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will remove from you a heart of stone and give your heart of flesh. I believe God wants to do that today. You see, many of people have been hurt. Many of people have been let down by the very church they loved, by the leaders they love. Many people have stepped out in God and it's been, it's, it hasn't worked out. And as we do that, we begin to be present, but not present more and more. We just withdraw. We just withdraw. And that soft, malleable, pure, fresh heart that we we had when we were born again, when we received salvation, and everything looked so beautiful, begins to harden and harden and harden like the arteries of our heart. If the lifeblood of 
the life flow of God begins to dry up. It begins to dry up. It begins to dry up. And you can say, God, I've got, my heart is hardened today. Lord, help me. Remove this heart of stone. And he says, and I will put my spirit in you. You don't have to do it. And this is amazing. And when I do this, I will move you to follow my decrees and careful to keep my laws. Not because we have to, because it's a big stick, but because we want to. We want to please him because we love him. He's placed that love in us and we want to love him back. And you know, one of the greatest signs of love and falling out of love is you know when you're in love because you want to please the person. Falling out of love, you don't want to please him so much anymore. You're getting a bit of a pain. And even relationships, God wants to restore today that love between relationships. First love with him and first love with each other. And you will be careful to (laughs) carry out my laws. And he says this, then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. And you will be my people, and I will be your God. Wow, wow, wow. If you come into my presence, I will sprinkle you, I will cleanse you, I'll even move you to follow my commands, I'll remove your heart of stone. Wow, wow, wow. And you will be my people. And I will be your God. If we could bow our heads for a moment. Thank you for being so patient. I'm just going to pray. And we're not going to have the worship team. I just feel God wants to touch you. Be honest with him. God, I didn't even want to come today. Whatever it is. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to rain down, to begin to soften, to wash that dust away. And as his presence comes, I ask you just to receive it. Come, Holy Spirit. Cleanse us, heal us, deliver us, set us free by the power of your Spirit. Send your rain. Soften our hearts, I pray. Give us a fresh revelation of our Father's unconditional love. Rain down upon us. Thank you, Jesus. Just receive.
allow him to wash you. Give him your stuff. Receive mercy and find grace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. How many of you felt God upon you? All he says, come do that daily. Start your day with me. Start with five minutes, ten minutes. Come to that throne of grace. Receive mercy. Find more grace for that day. Allow the Spirit of God to wash you clean. Now, sometimes we need a few washings before we come clean. Sometimes we need a jackhammer to get the stones out. It's a process. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and all the stuff's gone. But if you step into it intentionally, into communion with God and communion with each other, you will change. Otherwise, God would violate his word. But he, it's our intention and not his. He's already done his work. So I'm praying that this year, coming up, that this will be a community that is so in love with God, that flows out to loving each other, and that we can't help having compassion and love on the ones we walk past, sitting in rags, but at least to pray for them or encourage them. We will change the city. God used 120 people to change the world. Why not us? Amen. 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 Thank you, church.